Greetings, ladies and mendigants, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one. And we found them, written by Zoltanus. For years, we had envisioned fighting alien life. Decades of fiction, technology, and dreams, all looking at the stars above, hoping for a glimpse, a stray message, anything. Then uh, it happened. Our radio observations discovered a faint signal, barely registering above the usual background noise of the cosmos. At first, we thought it was a fluke, but an exciting one for a brief time. Within another week, a signal was detected. The excitement was palpable. Perhaps we weren't alone after all. Our greatest mind urged caution, calling upon a calm reasoning and thorough investigation. After all, it wasn't the first time that a stray stellar radio burst had been potentially misinterpreted. Many of us waited anxiously as astronomers tuned their instruments, aiming for the source of the signal. Then, uh, nothing... We heard no more news for several months, and it was soon forgotten amidst the celebrity gossip and the day-to-day life. The announcement was unexpectedly and awe-inspiring. The star the original signal had emitted from was less than 30 light-years away, and it was intelligent life. Radio waves from another civilization proved that we had neighbors. Everyone reacted differently. Some thought the day would be peaceful, some were afraid that they would try and attack, and every scenario in between. Science fiction authors and readers began to debate what they might look like, drawing upon all the fictional races of the past. With all the excitement abounding, we decided to attempt contact. Even though it would take years, we began to beam high-powered radio signal at them. After nearly a century of contact and neither of us having discovered a method of traveling faster than night, they told us that they were coming. We had deciphered each other's language long ago, sharing scientific and cultural information despite the long time gap. They told us a single ship loaded with volunteers in cryogenic sleep would be sent on a voyage across the void. The goal was to orbit around a humble blue planet. Physiological data came pouring in, astrogen information, and estimated time of arrival. We had no idea why someone would volunteer to leave everything and everyone they knew on a one-way trip to a planet that they couldn't even survive on. But they had nearly a thousand heading towards us. It was humbling, in a way. Debates raged for weeks, but we decided to meet them halfway, as it was, not literally, but metaphorically, spiritually. The Grand Welcome, as it came to be known, was the largest artificial satellite that we had ever constructed. Carefully studying their physiology, anatomy, culture, everything we knew about them, we designed more than a mere space station. We designed a home, every aspect of it carefully tailored to ensure that they would be comfortable and happy. We had to develop new schools of environmental engineering just for this project, but we knew that it would be worth it. We waited with much anxiety as the ship drew nearer to us. Would they still be alive? Would the ship's automatic processes still function properly? Much to our relief, everything went as planned. They contacted us from orbit, and we told them they had a satellite tugs on standby to take them to the Grand Welcome. 
A delegation in especially designed environmental suits stood at the airlock waiting for the commemorate to station in their fashion, welcoming our new neighbors. As they stepped through, removing their own suits after verifying it was indeed safe, the lead delegate stepped forward to greet them in their own tongue, with the assistance of a translation device, of course. In the name of peace and friendship, I welcome you to the station. It was built with a gesture of friendship between our two species, that you may have a home so far from the cradle of your own world. Please join me in cutting this ribbon to commemorate not just a grand welcome, but a long and lasting friendship. And as the human who had left her world long ago and far away stepped forward, millions of our people watched a tear of joy roll and touch down her no longer alien face. End of story. Story number two. Beast of D-395, written by Hamster 4. Ambassador Tharquil of the Tanith Republic strolled down the halls of the diplomatic station. His great beast straining on a chain, Tharquil held at his lower manipulator. The Tanith Republic had been one of the key financial contributors to the station's construction. As such, Tharquil was granted certain privileges not afforded to other ambassadors, the ownership of a Class 12 Apex Predator was one of them. Tharquil had obtained the beasts from some smugglers years ago when he was a magistrate. Turning a blind eye to a bit of contraband was a small price to pay for the prestige of such a beast bought him. The smugglers had inserted neural simulators into the pleasure and pain receptors of the beast's brain as a way of conditioning its behavior. Tranquil preferred the pleasure trigger to ensure the beast was in a good mood, but had to resort to the pain trigger from time to time to keep the beast from ripping apart the new office assistants. Most of the ambassadors and station staff knew to keep well back from Tharquil's beasts, often taking side corridors or hiding in maintenance alcoves to avoid getting too close with the apex predator. A dedicated cleaning crew followed at a respectful distance behind, ensuring the beast's leavings would not contaminate the station any longer than it had to. Tharquil never liked having to navigate foot traffic, and Tanev were never very physically imposing species, and he often would be jostled by the beings that were too much of a rush to notice his badge of office. He liked to think that the beast ensured that he was given the respect his position was owed. Twice, the beast's imposing countenance had driven off groups of ganger scum loitering in the lower corridors of the station, thus allowing Tharquil to conduct business with some of his less reputable contacts. He suspected that Tarnav traveling alone in the regions would have been robbed, or worse. He had considered employing a sapient bodyguard, but that would lead to questions about some of Tharquil's dealings that he would rather not answer. Today, Tharkor was on one of those expeditions to the lower corridors when he heard a high-pitched squeal, followed by heavy footsteps of some high-gravity monstrosity approaching him from the behind. Instinctively, Tharkor put up his beast between himself and the assailant while reaching for the neural stimulator. He had drilled this response with the beast and this chief of security. The chief of security was wisely insisted on wearing a combat-grade exosuit for the hostile response drill. While excessive at the time, Tharquil noted the sacrifice of three exosuits and the medical pills for the chief's dislocated shoulder and was about to pay off. The assailant was a massive brute, almost a full head taller than Tharquil. 
Its oversized walk suit was stretched to the limits to accommodate its thick, muscular limbs that propelled it forward through the artificial gravity of the station. Its mouth was open and spouting some sort of gibberish the Universal Translator could not pass into Tharkwell's native language. Tharkwell's beast responded to the presence of another Alpha Predator by dropping into an attack posture. Just like the threat response drills, its tail was slashing furiously side to side. The attacker stopped in short and the beast's striking range and began to do a strange dance, crouching and hopping to the side and crouching again. As it danced, it continued to spew the same unpassable gibberish. The thrashing of the beast's tail seemed to take over its beast's entire body and whether it was out of fear or bloodlust, Tharkwell had not known. In the blindingly fast motion, the assailant lashed out with its upper limbs, grasping Tharkwell's beast behind the ears and began roughly manipulating the fur, perhaps searching for a vein or a nerve cluster. In the act of suicidally bravely, Tharkwell's beast responded by lunging deeper into the assailant's grasp. Rising up to the hind limbs, Tharkwell's beast would just about reach the assailant's head. Tharkwell had seen this maneuver before on one of the new officer's assistants, but he held off triggering the pain stimulator. This assailant was going to lose its face, but there was no court in the sector that would fault Tarkwell or his beast for acting in an obvious self-defense. Despite the assailant's incredibly dense musculature, the beast's lunge was enough to unbalance it and send the pair toppling to the floor. The struggle on the deck plating was brief but intense. To Tharkwell's horror, the assailant managed to get the upper hand by pinning the beast to the floor with its lower limbs while breaking the beast's exposed belly with its upper limbs. Its face was wet with slobber, but unmarred by the fearsome bites Tharkwell knew the beast could deliver. Tharkwell knew his beast was defeated and was the only moments away from being the savage's next victim. He dropped the beast's chain and ran for his life towards the nearest functioning station communicator. Punching in his diplomatic access code, he got a direct line to the station's security chief. This is Tharkwell, I've been attacked, species unknown. Send full squad geared for riot suppression to level 86, comm station 12. What are you playing at, Tharkwell? I'm not risking my officers to provide more training to your tame apex predator. I told you that thing was a menace. Just provide me the frequency to the pain stimulator and I'll take care of it from here. It's not my pet, you fool. Some other apex predator came upon us and neutralized my guardian in melee combat. Untranslatable expletive. I'll send what I can, but I'm not a right suppression gear will be sufficient. I hope that beast of yours wounded the attacker enough for my men to stand a chance. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, by the gods, it's here. It's found me. Tharkorn dropped the voice receiver and the attacker's gaze fell upon the terrified diplomat. He tried to run, but years of cushy desk job had atrophied his muscles. At any rate, he doubted that Tarn of peak physical condition could outrun a creature such as this. As the assailant's lumbering foot drew closer to Tharkwell's, dropped into a defensive ball and prayed for the right suppression team would get here in time. Um, sir, you dropped this. Tharkwell opened his eyes to see the assailant and the beast looming over him. In the forelimb of the assailant was the beast's chain. Tharkwell looked over to his guardian who seemed uninjured by the savage meanie Tharkwell had so recently fled from. In fact, the look upon the beast's features was one of sublime joy. It reminded Tharkwell of the time that he had accidentally sat on the pleasure stimulator for full five minutes during a diplomatic conference. But how? were the only words Tharkwell could come up with at the time. I'm sorry if I startled you, but I couldn't help myself. It's been so long since I've gave a good doggo some proper scritches. 
My name's Murphy, and it's been six years since I last saw a papa. They don't let my people bring them into space. Something about apex predator quarantine laws. I was wondering how you were able to get such a good boy in this part of space. Murphy then turned to the beast and spouted more gibberish to the universal translator. Given the context and the beast's behavior, Tharkor began to realize whatever this Murphy creature was saying brought nothing but joy to his beast. By the time the riot suppression team arrived, Tharkor had learned that Murphy and his beast were children of the same evolutionary tree. That prehistory of both species that had formed an alliance against the dangers of their home world. The love and loyalty the beast gave Tharkor for feeding it had been automatically granted to the stranger out of species recognition. The bond seemed to be strengthened by the constant rubbing and high-pitched gibberish. Tharkor dismissed the riot suppression team, who had cautiously keeping their distance from the two apex predators, playfully wrestling each other. He invited Murphy back to his quarters, where they could discuss more about the lineage of his beast and certain selected breeding programs. All this Murphy was very happy to discuss. Using the Tanny Republic's political clout, Tharkwell assured Murphy that he could find a way around the apex predator quarantine laws. The financial and security benefits of bringing these, uh, dogs to the wider universe would make Tharkwell rich. End of story. Story number three. Strategic Buffer Zone, written by Leif Roberts. There's a hole in the Krizakian Empire. It's been there for centuries. A patch of space they don't claim as theirs, even though it's surrounded on all sides by their own territory. As a scholar specializing in the expansion of the Empire, it has always fascinated me. The Krizakians are notoriously trigger-happy. Their military presses out from the Empire space constantly. Almost as soon as they capture a new system, they will claim all the systems on its borders as contested. They send us new maps of what they claim as their Empire every week. They often even claim systems they haven't yet declared war on to be part of their territory. And yet, a small group of systems has remained, an obvious pockmark on the otherwise perfect whole. Since the start of their expansion, it has never once been designated or contested. Conspiracy theorists would occasionally say that it is a location of their home system. However, academics, military leaders, intelligence analysts, and even the politicians all agree. The home is the one they indicate as such on their maps. They have no reason to hide that information from us. It isn't like we have a military strength to strike at it. If only the Cortians had survived the Krizakans' initial onslaught, their famous information-gathering compulsions might have provided more clarity. Without them, we have to draw on our own conclusions and our limited data. There is nothing special about the small patch of systems. No undue radiation, no collapsing stars, no incipient wormholes. Nothing to keep them from claiming it and nothing of high enough value to make them attempt to hide away they already brought into their empire. It seems to simply be distracting anomaly. You may wonder why others unclaimed spaces at all. It has been brought up thousands of times. All of you and the council entertain it as a curiosity, but always dismiss it as an unimportant detail. Well, I bring this up for a very important reason. Right after their unexplained extraction from 80% of the systems that they were laying siege to, the Kozikans provided us with their weekly territory claim update. The hull has expanded. 
End of story. And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below. But the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video. And until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.